Okay, you can open up the Bible this morning to Luke chapter 1, please. Luke chapter 1. I appreciate you folks singing so well last week, this week. Our numbers may not be what they usually are, but boy, you guys sure do sing. I appreciate that. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 5 is where we're going to begin. And I've never done this before, but it kind of makes sense, right, with Christmas right around the corner. And I understand the... uh, the timeline. I know that Jesus didn't actually come into the world on December 25th. We'll talk about that more next week. But this is the time of year that we do think about, talk about, preach about, and use the Christmas story to evangelize to family and friends. So since this is the week before all that, I figured we'd talk about the forerunner of Jesus and him coming into the world. So today we're going to be looking at the birth of John the Baptist And uh, really, to be honest, the sermon is not so much about John as it is his parents today. So the title of this sermon is The Genesis of John the Baptist. The Genesis of John the Baptist. Uh, Luke chapter 1 and verse 5. Here's his backstory. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And there were both, uh, I'm sorry, they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now be sure you don't understand that as sinless. Sinless is not blameless, two different things. But to be blameless is, if they made a mistake, they would turn to the law and fix the mistake according to the law. So you could not find any holes in their testimony. They kept it right and clean before God and man. In verse 7 it says, And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren. And they both were now well stricken in years. I have noticed that any time you preach a sermon that is directed at parents about parenting, a certain portion of the church just kind of shuts the ears off and says, Well, this is for parents, and I'm either not to that stage of life yet, or I'm already past that stage of life. I love this passage because if you're a parent here today and still have young ones living at home, this is going to directly speak to you. But Elizabeth and Zacharias were well stricken in years, the Bible says. They were a bit older. So the older crowd here, tune in. Something here for you as well. And if you're young and not yet married and don't have a family, learn something about John and his story behind all of this. So really there's something for everyone. In verse number 8, And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now this we'll look at next week a little bit more probably. But in Second Chronicles it was listed out that these priests would come in two weeks at a time and serve in the temple. So this was Zacharias' time to be in the temple handling all the furniture inside. In verse 10, And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled. And fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. Now can you imagine how big and wide the eyes of Zacharias were at this point? Who knows how long he's been praying? It kind of sounds like Abraham's story. <clears throat> Sounds a little bit like Isaac's story. You remember that story? Him and Rebecca, she was barren. They prayed 20 years before God finally answered that prayer. I don't know how old exactly these two were, but wow, Zacharias has to be blown away by this point. In verse 14, it says, And thou shalt have joy and gladness. Amen. After being barren that long and maybe giving up hope to a certain extent. <laughs> Zacharias has already got to be filled with joy just at the news of this. And many shall rejoice at his birth. Verse 15, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord. If it wasn't enough joy just to hear, you're going to have a baby. Now they have the angel telling them, your baby is going to be great in the sight of the Lord. As a parent, I don't know of any better news you could get. 
Not only have we fallen pregnant, but my child is going to be used by God. In verse number 80, just skip to the end of the chapter. We're going to look at everything in the middle in just a moment. It says, And the child grew, that's John the Baptist, and waxed strong in spirit, and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. So if you would, let's bow our heads. Let's have a word of prayer before we continue. Father, thank you this morning that we get to be here. We get to look into the Scripture. We get to look into how you use this couple in their life and their testimony. Father, would you please speak to us today? Lord, would you please come down and meet with us for just these few minutes, God? Manifest your glory. Draw us closer to you. Teach us some things we need to know. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I don't think it's a secret to anyone here how much God used John the Baptist. Yes, Jesus himself said among women there was never a greater born than John. Guys, that's about as high a compliment as anyone can ever achieve to say beyond myself, Jesus is excluded of course, his birth was not the normal natural kind. He says amongst all those that are naturally born of women, John, he's the best. The Bible says in John chapter 5, <clears throat> Jesus again complimenting John the Baptist said that he was a burning and a shining light in his generation. Jesus, uh, John, he stands out. He was a man of God amongst men of God. And John, of course, we know he has a very strange and unique uh, uh, coming into the world. When he was born and when his mom fell pregnant, it's not every day that the angel comes to give you that news, right? It's usually a doctor. It's usually uh, some uh, natural method. Here you have an angel showing up announcing that the baby is going to be born. There's very few times in the Bible that we see God telling the parents beforehand, you're going to have a baby you're going to name it this, and this is what the child is going to do. That doesn't happen with every baby. Don't worry if it doesn't happen with yours. Right? There were some great men, great women of God in the Bible that were used, didn't have their birth announced by an angel. All right? So don't feel left out or cheated or by any of that. But there are a few. There's Isaac, Jacob, Esau. Right? His, his birth was announced, but uh, he kind of got the short end of that stick. You have Moses, somewhat. We read there that his mother saw that he was a goodly child. Maybe his mother had some sort of an announcement beforehand. Samson, his birth was announced. But there's very few. Even some would put Jeremiah in that list. I don't know if I'd put Jeremiah there because his birth wasn't announced. But God did say that before the foundation, he knew what Jeremiah was going to do and what he had called him to do. Let me ask you this question. What do you want to be when you grow up? You ever ask that question? Me, I, I want to be a missionary when I grow up. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm aiming towards. What do you want to be when you grow up? That's a question that we all have to tackle at some point. Now, I don't care how you answer that. The, this, there's so many specifics. You could be a doctor, a lawyer. You could be a business owner, a restauranteur, a chef. You could be a physician. Whatever you want to be, right? Help yourself. As long as it's not sinful, please go for it. But no matter what it is that God has called you to do, whether it's a specific thing for the ministry or if he has called you to work a job faithfully and be a real good church member, whatever the case is, I think all of us can try for this. By the end of our life, we want it to be said of us that we were used of God. Isn't that what we're aiming for? We want to get to the end of our days and whether God called us to be a prophet or sit on the pew... That's the chair there, for those of you that don't know a pew. If you're just going to sit out there, if you're going to be behind the pulpit or in the pew, whatever it is, you want to say, I got used of God. God put me to use. John the Baptist had that. Now, who are we going to give honor to for this? Well, we can give a little bit of honor to John, right? John did yield to it. The Bible never says that God just hit some automatic switch and John robotically went through the motions. John had to make some choices along the way. Mom, Dad, you realize no matter how good of a job you do raising your children, your children still have to choose for themselves. And if they choose right, praise God. If they choose wrong, don't take all the blame. They still had to make a, a choice. Of course, we're going to give God honor for what he did in John the Baptist's life. This is not just John making a decision. It was obviously the grace of God that made his ministry profitable and brought people to repentance. We know that, right? 
We know that. We, we can say, well done, John. We can say, praise God for what he did. Let's not forget to say, well done, Zacharias and Elizabeth. I know it was John later in life and beyond Luke chapter 1, we don't read anything about Elizabeth and Zacharias. This is the only place where we get anything about their lives. But let's not kid ourselves. John didn't raise himself. I want to show you the environment into which John was born. Moms and dads, I don't know what your child is called to do, nor do you probably. Very few parents get to know beforehand what the big picture is. But one thing is true of every parent. It is our job to prepare our children to be used of God. Is that general enough so that it hits all of us? We should prepare the children to be used of God. So this is John's genesis. This is his beginning. Come to verse number 15 again. It says here, the angel speaking on God's behalf to Zacharias. It says, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. Do we know what that's a reference to? You folks, have you studied the book of Numbers? This is Numbers chapter 6. This speaks a little bit about a Nazarite and the vows that are taken there, but we can study that some other time. He shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. Now, the spirit and power of Elias, please don't be confused by that phrase. That is not a statement that Elijah is going to be reincarnated as John the Baptist. I've heard some Christians actually teach it like that. That what was inside Elijah, poomp, has now, that the spirit of Elijah has moved into John. Not necessarily so. That's not what this phrase um, is, 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 not the way it's being used. The spirit and power of Elijah we could also say the, the attitude and the authority of Elijah. Uh, the word spirit is not always talking about an immaterial intelligence, a spiritual being. It's not always a reference to that. Sometimes the spirit of a thing can be the atmosphere or the attitude of, of, a, of a group or a person. That's what you have here. Just like Elijah did when he was here, John's going to walk pretty much the same path. He shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, do you remember how Zacharias responded to this? What a message, right? What an incredible message to hear. My child is going to be used in a great way. Here's the specifics. In Zacharias, in verse 18, he said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. Isn't that a fair question? Now, Zacharias is asking this not, not in, a, in a believing sense. We know this later on. The angel says, you didn't believe. He, he's asking this in the sense of, that's an incredible message, too good to be true. Ah, how is that possible? He's asking from a skeptic's point of view. Now, it's one thing to say, I don't understand how this promise of God is going to take place. I, I don't see how God's going to work it out but I know he will. So God, I believe the promise, but do you mind explaining to me how it's going to happen? That's one thing. That's not coming from disbelief. Zacharias, on the other hand, he's received incredible news and says, nah, I don't think this can happen to us. In verse 19, and the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed, because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he tarried so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak unto them. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned unto them and remained speechless. Now, what I want you to see in this, Zacharias, he at first balks, he, he, he pauses when he hears this message from God. And I don't know how long it took for this message from God to sink in. I don't know how long it took. As soon as I lose my voice, if I'm Zacharias, right then I'm believing. <laughs> right then you've got my attention. But I don't know how long it took 
for the full weight of this message to hit Zacharias. Do you know what has been promised to him? Do you realize what the angel Gabriel just said to him? Not just your baby's going to be special and used of God. It's more than that. Your baby, this little boy, is going to fulfill a long-awaited promise from the Old Testament. He is an incredibly chosen child. Look at verse number 76. After John was born, after John was born, Zacharias said this, And thou, child, speaking about John the Baptist, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Do you see that? Now, where did Zacharias get this thought? This is nine months later. Nine months later. He took the message from the angel. It may have taken him a week. It may have taken him a month or nine. It may have taken all nine months. I don't know. But it took a little while for the message of the angel to sink in. But eventually, and here's my first point, he learned to recognize the voice of God. Moms, dads, if we are going to prepare our children to be used of God, they need to see in us a living relationship with God wherein we know he's going to speak with us and we are ready to listen. And we know how to find and understand what God is trying to tell us. Can I ask you to hold your place here in Luke? Come back to Malachi chapter 3. It's just a few pages before Matthew there. Malachi chapter number 3. I am assuming that Zacharias was pretty clued in with his Bible, right? He was a faithful priest. He was uh, keeping the law and all the ordinances. So I assume he knew his Bible fairly well. As I say, I don't know, maybe... Maybe Zacharias got this rather quick, but I want you to see it in your Bible now. Malachi 3, verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. Do you remember what we just saw in Luke 1? He says, you'll go before the face of the Lord and prepare the way. You see that? At some point, Zacharias figured it out that what the angel was telling him your baby is going to fulfill Malachi 3, verse 1. Zacharias put it all together. He took what the angel told him, he compared it with Scripture, and said, now I know exactly what God is going to do with my child. Look at Malachi 3, verse number 4, uh, Malachi 4, I'm sorry, verse number 5. Malachi 4, verse number 5. Behold, I will send you... Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers lest I come and smite the earth with a curse do you remember reading that in Luke chapter 1 isn't that what Gabriel told Zacharias here's what your child is going to do so Zacharias took all this information in he starts studying the Bible he says now I it's not only that I heard the angel, I've confirmed it with my Bible. I know I heard the voice of God because not just a spirit told me so, but I've confirmed it with Scripture. Mom and Dad, do you know how to do that? Do you know how to not only hear from God in prayer, but then to confirm it with the Bible? I think it's paramount that our children see us communicating with the Lord in an intelligent way. One thing I've learned about raising kids, we cannot pass on our social skills to them. Have you noticed this, moms and dads? You can't, you can't teach your children how to interact with others uh, in every way. You can tell them verbally, you know, be nice, don't be rude, tell jokes at this time, not at that time. But uh, I know from raising a shy guy... It's tough, right? You can't, st you can't go with them and stand next to them as they're interacting with friends and say, ah, no, no, don't say it like that. Don't laugh at that joke. We can tell them and then we have to let them figure out how to interact with people on their own. After a while, they have to put into practice what we've taught. Yes? I can tell them this is the right way to have a, have a conversation. Here are the things you want to talk about, but eventually those children have to put it into practice. Did you know the same thing is true when we communicate with God? How many times somebody has asked me, Pastor Mike, how do you hear the voice of God? Well, I can sit here and tell you about it. Pray like this, read here in the Bible, 
Eventually it'll come. Until you go out there and do it yourself, you're not going to figure it out. Until you follow the example that you've seen and let it become personal to you, it's not going to sink in. I know this, though. When it comes to the voice of God, I cannot describe to Caleb or any of you, Amy, Megan, I can't describe to my children or you exactly what it sounds like. I'm sure to you it sounds like it's speaking Afrikaans. <laughs> or, or Shona or Chichewa. I'm sure it sounds different in your heart and in your head, amen? And I'm sure you probably, the, the wording might be a little different the way it comes across in your heart based on what you've seen and learned. But I, I know this about the voice of God. It is knowable. You can hear it. It is a real thing. It is precious. I know that. I know it's fulfilling. When I hear it, it brings great joy and comfort and peace. Those basic things I do know. And I want my children, I want my church to know that you can hear it that it is precious and it is fulfilling. I want you to see that in my life. Do your kids see that in your life? Do they see just how important the Word of God, whether it's the vocal Word that you hear in your heart and in your ears, or the written Word of God? Do they know how important it is? Look at Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Luke 3, verse 1. Now in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and of the region of Trachonitis and Licinius, the tetrarch of Abilene. Isn't that exciting stuff? Now we know who the politicians were. They were the big shots. You go in your time machine back to the days of John the Baptist and these are the names you read about in the newspaper and on Facebook and CNN. That's the crowd. Verse 2, and Annas and Caiaphas being the high priest, the word of God came unto John. The word of God skipped all those big shots in the political positions. He even skipped the religious big shots that were just going by tradition. And the word of God showed up to John. It came unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. You know what I find here? The word of God came to Zacharias. He stumbled at it. It took him a little bit of time to let the message sink in. But eventually he learned to make the connection with other verses. He learned how to hear the word of God. And then later on in life, John the Baptist, when the word of God shows up to him, he takes it like that. I wonder if he learned that from his dad. I wonder if he, at some point, John gained an appreciation for the word of God and hearing from God because he saw it in his father. His father knew how real the voice of God can be. I wonder if your kids see that in you. Let's see another thing. Luke chapter 1 again. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 25. Well, you know what? Let's read from verse 23 so you see the story. It came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. So the first thing I say about this is that you need to recognize the voice of God. But secondly, you need to be resolved when you're reproached. To be resolved when you're reproached. In this day and age, and even to this day, still happens. If a woman was barren in this time, it was viewed by the public as a punishment from God. They really didn't consider that there might be a medical problem or other factors. They just assumed if God hasn't allowed you to have kids, you've done something wrong. The Bible tells us that Zacharias and Elizabeth were well stricken in age. How many years had they lived with this public shame? For how many years did people, as Elizabeth and Zacharias walked by, people would whisper and gossip and say, yeah, we don't know what they're doing. They look good on the outside, but something must be wrong. I wonder how many years they put up with this reproach. You know what's impressive to me? When we find the angel coming to them, Zacharias was still in the temple serving God. We don't find anywhere where Elizabeth and Zacharias were bitter and said, that's it, that's enough. God is not being fair. I don't deserve this. 
I see other moms and dads having children and they're horrible parents. We would be great parents. This isn't right. I understand where that complaint would come from, but they didn't do that. They never grew bitter. Regardless of what was going on in their life, they continued to serve the Lord. Your children, listen, need to see you serving God regardless of your circumstance. Not only when it's convenient, when it's easy, when things are going well, but even when it's tough and you don't understand why God allowed certain things to happen, then is it so important to say, praise the Lord anyway. Have you heard this phrase before? God is greater than our problems. You've heard that, right? God is greater than our problems. Here's how most people use that phrase. When they say it, they mean God is bigger than the problem so he can fix it. Is that true? Amen. Amen. God is bigger than any of our problems. He's bigger than all of our problems put together. Amen. But when people say God is greater than our problems... They are assuming that God is always going to fix the problem. That is a false assumption. There are some ladies that never get the blessing of Elizabeth and have a child late in life. There are some people that live their entire lives with some sort of affliction or thorn in their flesh. And it is important for them, even in their dire situation, to be resolved Even with this reproach in their life, I'm not going to stop praising, honoring, worshiping, and serving the Lord. God is greater than our problems. You know what it really means? God's so big that regardless of my problems, I'm going to keep serving Him. He is worthy of my best effort regardless of what's going on with me. He doesn't owe me anything. Thank God we don't get what we deserve. Amen? Thank God there's mercy and grace involved. I'm so glad he's not a God that always does what justice demands. Thank God there's mercy in there as well. God is greater than our problems, so serve him regardless of your problems. Do you know that's what the book of Job is all about? That's where the whole problem started for Job. Have you read Job? You know in chapter 1 the Bible says the Lord's sitting there in heaven. The sons of God come to present themselves before him and Satan comes also among them. And the Bible says that God said to Satan, where have you been? He says, well, I've been down there on the earth walking to and fro. That sounds like the devil, right? Walking to and fro, seeking whom he may devour. That sounds right. The devil didn't put that part in, but he said, I'm going to and fro. And you know what God did? God brought it up. Listen, I say God brought it up. God said, hey, uh, devil, have you noticed my servant Job? God pointed him out said, have you noticed my servant Job? You've seen how much he loves me? He's an honest and an upright man. He eschews evil. He's, that's a righteous man. Satan said, yeah, but there's a reason. He said, you've put a hedge about him. You have this special protection about him, so he's been able to grow and prosper in all these ways, and, and as long as you're blessing him, yeah, he's going to praise you, but you let me take that hedge away. You let me take his stuff away, and he'll stop praising you. He'll curse you to your face. And I can just see God smiling on his throne. They're just smiling saying, all right, go ahead. Give it a shot. He said, but here's the thing. Here's the rules. Here's the boundaries. You can't touch him. You can touch anything he has, but you can't touch him. Devil said, you're on. It's a bet. Down he comes. And you know what happened. That's the worst day of anybody's life in human history. Oh my goodness, he lost everything. He lost uh, the, the servants. He lost the animals. He lost not, not just one or two, right? Thousands of animals. He lost 10 children that day. You talk about a bad day. That's rough. How did he respond? resolved regardless of the reproach he said well the Lord gives and the Lord takes away blessed be the name of the Lord he said praise the Lord anyway you know what happened as a result of that little time goes by the sons of God come to present themselves again Satan comes also among them and the, and the Lord brings it up it says uh, <clears throat> Satan come here what do you think of my servant Job he's a pretty good servant isn't he Look at that. I let you touch everything he has. You destroyed his life. 
You turned his world upside down and he's still praising me and he hasn't quit serving me and he still loves God and loves his word and all of that stuff. And he did. Job said, neither have I gone back from the commandment of his lips. His word is more precious and important to me than my necessary food. Job didn't give up on God. You know what the devil did? He said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll double down. We'll try a little harder. He says, yeah, okay, you let me touch his stuff, but this time let me touch his flesh. Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath shall he give for his life. You te- let me touch his flesh, he'll curse you to your face. God said, you're on. Here's the rules. Can't kill him. But you can make him sick. Down he comes, and the devil can never overstep the bounds that God creates. So the devil comes and touches him, boils from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, so bad he had to sit down on a pile of ashes. Guys, that's the softest thing you can sit on. Softer than any pillow you have at home, I promise. He's sitting on a pile of ashes, scraping away the pus, and his wife, his wife of all the things the devil didn't take, he left the wife, that nagging wife, and said... Do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. I mean, how's that for an encouraging help meet for you, right? I mean, praise God for that. She has grown a little bitter, amen? She said, just give up, man. Curse God and die. It's his fault. He let it happen. Job said, you speak as one of the foolish women speaketh. Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not also receive evil? He said, if God wants to let something good happen, we thank him for that. But then when he allows something bad to happen, we're supposed to get angry. He said, God is still God. He was resolved, regardless of the reproach. And you know what his friends did? His friends came around and said, shame, Job, you must have done something wrong. They tried to poke holes in Job's testimony and said, you must have disappointed God. You must have sinned. Job said, I didn't. That's exactly what Zacharias and Elizabeth are going through. It looks as if God is punishing them. He wasn't. He was actually allowing this barrenness to go on so that one day he could do something incredibly special in their life. Mom and dad, don't give up when things get tough. Hang on because your kids are watching. And they're going to see that even though mom and dad had some rough times, they never gave up on God. They still found a way to praise God anyway. Dr. Ruckman used to tell a story all the time about going to a nursing home and seeing one of his members there. She was coming along the last days of her life and suffering a lot of physical pain with whatever disease she had. And he said when he'd walk in the room, the first thing he'd say, I don't remember the name, but he'd say, Mr. So-and-so, let me hear you say, praise the Lord. Now that might seem almost a bit antagonistic. Here's a lady suffering on her deathbed in horrible pain, and the first thing the pastor says is, go ahead, say, praise the Lord. What's he doing? He's trying to help her be resolved. In the face of a dire situation, don't give up. Let's look at another part of this in chapter 1 and verse number 36. What transpires between these verses here? We stopped at verse 25. Starting in verse 26 down to 35, Gabriel talks to Mary and announces the birth of Jesus. Now, guys, it might have been tough for Zacharias to believe what the angel said, right? You two old folks are going to have a child. What? Zacharias doubted. Now, he shouldn't have because God already showed this was possible, possible with Abraham, right? So Zacharias has no room for doubt. But Mary, on the other hand, would any of us blame her when she heard, you're going to have a child, and by the way, you're not going to have any physical relations, you're going to have a virgin birth. What? <laughs> uh, time out, God. H- how? How is this going to happen? Verse 35, the angel explains that the Holy Ghost is going to come upon you and so forth. But none of us would blame Mary for stopping a little bit and saying, whoa, what are people in society going to say? You think Elizabeth has a bad reputation. You think she had reproach. What about Mary? You talk about the gossip. Yeah, she says that God got her pregnant. This child is going to be the Holy One. Yeah, right. Do you know what they said later on in Jesus' life? They said, we weren't born of fornication, indicating they thought he was. 
Oh man, this message that the angel is dropping on Mary, this is a tough one. How do you get somebody like Mary to believe such an incredible message? Your child, if you look in verse number 31, going to be named Jesus. Verse 32, he shall be great. Verse 32 at the end, he'll sit on the throne of David. Verse 33, he'll reign and his kingdom shall have no end. What an incredible message. The Holy Spirit's going to come and overshadow you, then you'll be pregnant. And Mary's just sitting there, her response is, Huh? What? What say? Verse 36. Look at what the angel tacks on to the end of his message. Incredible. He's going to be great. Sit on David's throne. Virgin birth. By the way, verse 36. Behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. The angel explains all these great things that God's going to do and how Jesus is going to be used. And then just in order to tip the scales from doubt to belief, he tacks on the testimony of Elizabeth and says, by the way, just so that you know God is doing something special, your cousin Elizabeth, she's fallen pregnant. Pregnant six months now. And it was that, I, I, I would only assume that tipped the scales from doubt to belief because in verse number 38, Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Not one moment of doubt recognized in that. And I can only, I I know this is true, Elizabeth's testimony played a part. It may not have been the one thing that convinced Mary, but it played a part. Did you know your testimony can reinforce the faith of others? First thing, recognize the voice of God. Let it be important in your life. Listen for it. Confirm it. Make sure your kids know that it's important. Number two, stay resolved when reproached. Number three, reinforce the faith of others. Now Elizabeth's hardship and how God brought her through it, the angel is able to use that story to help Mary in this very difficult time to believe a very difficult message. I wonder if your testimony might convince somebody else that what they hear in the gospel is true, even though it sounds incredible, right? Believe on a Jew that died on a cross 2,000 years ago and you'll go to heaven and spend forever with God. Doesn't that sound almost unbelievable? Isn't that beyond the incredible? How could that be true? Oh, by the way, take a look at my life. See how it's changed me. Look at his life. Look at his life. You see how it's worked? There must be some truth to it. Your testimony can reinforce the faith of others. It's not only that, right? Or not only Elizabeth. Even It doesn't have to be uh, massive and miraculous. It can just be you staying faithful. But folks, we've heard some pretty strong testimonies in this church. Even last Sunday night. Were you guys here for that testimony, Lorenzo? Isn't that amazing? Here's a man who turned atheist. And a pretty staunch one, an educated one, a wicked man. And God used one of the young ladies in this church to lead him to Christ. Her first convert ever. Now guys, if that doesn't encourage you as as church members to say, man, God can do some pretty amazing things. With God, nothing's impossible. God can take a hardened atheist and save him and get him excited about the Bible and church and evangelism. And God can do some pretty big stuff. I don't know about you, that reinforces my faith. The gospel really does work. You folks have been hearing about Agrippa, but I don't know if you've heard the whole story, how he ended up here at our church. He was in Zimbabwe fasting for several days. It had turned into weeks. He was fasting, asking God to send him to a Bible school. And he couldn't find one in Zimbabwe, so he decided to focus down here in South Africa And he came to Potch, God had led him this far, he came to Potch and he went to a couple different churches that had what they claimed to be Bible schools and Agrippa said there was no Bible going on in there. There were Bible schools without Bibles. He said it was opinions and never would they show verses so he just quit. And he continued to fast and pray and say, God, where am I supposed to be going to school in Pachastruam? And it was right about that time he bumped into Mwai. And why had been coming to Bible school, and why said, we have a Bible school. 
Come and join us. And Agrippa said, this was the answer to the prayer. He showed up at the Bible school, came to church, and he said, this is what I've been looking for. And it was at that time God started to transform and change him, prepare him for the mission field. That's an incredible story. God bringing a man from another land just to prepare him to be a missionary somewhere else. I I don't know about you, but that's encouraging. I need to hear stories about that. Your children need to hear stories about what God has done in your life and, and how God has used you. Do you have any of those stories? If you're not willing to stand and tell it to the church, would you be willing to sit and tell it to your children? Say, listen, I've applied the Bible. This is how it's worked in my life. Take a look later, later on in this passage in Luke chapter 1. It says in verse number 41, It came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary... The babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out uh, with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For, lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy, and blessed is she that believed. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. By this point, Mary is now pregnant, and no doubt the word has gotten out in town, and people are starting to gossip. Where can Mary go to find some comfort and some encouragement? Don't you know Mary's closest friends probably raised an eyebrow and said, uh, What have you been doing? I don't know of anybody that would believe this story except her cousin Elizabeth. The one person that would say, you know what? I know God's doing something special. We can put the whole story together and the child that you're carrying, Elizabeth said, is my Lord. You know what Elizabeth did? She reinforced the faith of others. Not only was it her testimony being retold to Mary, but now when Mary shows up for a visit, all Elizabeth can say is, blessed art thou, blessed art thou, blessed art thou, God's going to use you. What an encouragement. You know what you could do, mom and dad? Be a blessing to your children. Not only that, how about this? Take your kids along when you go to be a blessing to someone else. Make a plan. Do it together as a family. Let's say, let's go be a blessing to this other family. Let's get these things together. Let's go pay them a visit and just encourage them in the Lord. And include your kids with that. Reinforce the faith of others. And then lastly, in chapter 1, John is born, verse 60, 61, 62, down in there. They were going to name him Zacharias after his father, but then his father stopped it and said, no, no, his name is John. And then Zacharias gets a chance to speak. In verse number 67, if you'd look there, verse 67, it says, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, For he hath visited and redeemed his people, and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Pause. Hit the pause button. Guys, who's he talking about? Is he talking about his son John, or is he talking about Jesus? He's talking about Jesus. His baby boy was just born. You know, I would find it very strange if Buddha, who just had a baby, would come and talk about my children. (laughs) Or somebody else's child. I would expect him to be goo goo gaga over his child, right? Look at my baby, so cute. We expect that. I, I hope that would happen. Zacharias has just had a baby boy, and rather than talk about the boy, he's talking about Jesus, who hasn't even been born yet. He's talking about the Messiah in verse number 69, uh, 70, rather. And uh, it says, as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he sware to our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Zacharias, filled with the Holy Spirit, Instead of focusing on John, put the focus on the Messiah, on Jesus. And he says, God is fulfilling the plan. The Messiah is on his way. Did he ignore John? 
No, verse 76. And thou, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. (laughs) Now he's talking about John and how he's going to help Jesus. (laughs) Zacharias is just stuck on this Jesus thing. You know what happens when you get filled with the Holy Ghost? You get so stuck on Jesus, you can't think about anything else. Jesus pervades every thought. Everything surrounds and is about Jesus. He is all. He's in all. And we see that in the life of Zacharias. Brand new baby boy, born into the world. Going to be great. That's what the Bible says. Going to be great because of what he's going to do for Jesus. Because he's going to be used of God. In verse number 77 to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. That's what John's going to do. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us. Do you know who the day spring is? That's Jesus. He gave John his brand new baby boy, two verses, and then right back to Jesus. Verse 79, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So my third, or fourth point rather, is that Zacharias and Elizabeth, we can assume by association, they regarded Jesus above everything. They recognized the voice of God, they were resolved when reproached, they reinforced the faith of others, and they regarded Jesus above everything. I believe this is epidemic, not just in our day, I'm sure this is something that has happened for millennium now, millennia now. But we do, as parents, tend to make our children the center of the known universe. Now, I don't blame any of us for that. We love our children, right? If you're going to make a mistake, that's a pretty good one to make. But, But might I remind you, it's still a mistake. Your children are not the center of the universe. Jesus Christ, on the other hand, is. He created everything by His Word, and by His Word all things are upheld. Jesus should be the center of everything we do and our children need to know that God takes all. He is, his priority trumps everything else in our life rather than, oh, child, it's your birthday, so we don't need to go to church. Oh, it's a holiday. We don't need to go to church or have devotions, read the Bible or pray together. Oh, it's a sporting event. And it's going to happen on a Sunday and you're on the team. Well, by all means, we'll skip church and go on the sporting event. What are we teaching our children to regard above everything else? Zacharias, on the day of his boy's birth, is making a big deal of Jesus. How often we put these sports and the friends and the schooling and education and birthdays, holidays, everything, everything takes priority over Jesus. You know our children catch on to that? Our children recognize the priorities in our life and they know what you will put ahead of Jesus. Zacharias was willing from the start, Jesus first. Jesus first. I wonder if this is where John got it. You remember later on in John's life, he said, I am not worthy to unloose the shoes of the one coming after me. Remember that? Where did he learn to have this massive appreciation for the Messiah? Where did he learn that? I'm going to say that he learned it first at home. He knew that the Messiah, that Jesus Christ was a big deal because his mom and dad made him a big deal. What what kind of atmosphere are you providing for the children? Do they know how important the voice of God is? Do they know that regardless of what happens, you're going to keep serving God and they should too? Do they see you reinforcing The faith of others? Do you regard Jesus above everything? You see, John's Genesis, this is where he began, right? That's a Genesis. That's where he began. Leads him to the correct revelation. Verse 80. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his showing unto Israel. There's his revelation. He's hanging out in the desert until one day he shows up and shows himself to Israel and says... I'm the voice in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. With the right genesis, you end up with the right revelation. Guys, I don't know how God wants to use your kids, but we have to give them the right genesis. We have to provide the right atmosphere so that our children, however it happens specifically, can be used of God.
Let's all stand if you would, please. Heads bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Caleb, could you play something? We'll not take long. Just want you to pray for a minute or two if that's all right. And I know most of you here today, I know your testimonies. I know you have received Jesus as your Savior. If you haven't, if you haven't, I hope today that you learn like Zacharias to put Jesus before everything. Moms, dads, there's no doubt this sermon directs, it's directed more at you. What kind of atmosphere do you have there at home? Is it a godly one? What are you preparing your kids to do? John was used of God and we praise God for that. John had to yield to it. So well done, John. But let's make sure we give some credit to his parents. They did something right. Now, if you're not a mom or a dad yet, maybe one day you will be. I hope you put this sermon in your back pocket. You realize, though, today, even if it's not your own kids, you can affect somebody near you. You could reinforce somebody's faith. You could recognize the voice of God. You could regard Jesus above everything. You could do all of that. And that will minister to someone, to see you resolved when you're in trouble. Stick with it. Father, we thank you for speaking to our hearts today. Lord, any time I see these kind of passages Father I, I want to make the special request Lord make me a better dad Lord teach me more about being a good parent Lord help us as a church have strong families godly homes like we sang about today a Christian home Lord, please use us like you did Zacharias and Elizabeth. We may not be the most famous people. Our story may not be told a lot, but if we can help somebody else, if we can prepare them to be used of you, Father, please show us what we can do to create a better atmosphere. Lord, we love you. Help us today to learn from what Zacharias did and exalt and extol and regard you above everything else put you first in every thought Lord would you please bring us back tonight we would like to hear more from you teach us more today thank you God for how you've worked already this morning we ask it in Jesus name Amen